Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting next to my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field, fresh off a weekend, Wes, that uh, definitely put the wild in wild card. That was uh, some quartet of games. The upshot for the Packers, of course, is that with the Vikings knocking off the Saints and then the Seahawks beating the Eagles, that sets up Seattle coming to Lambeau Field next Sunday for the divisional round, 5.40 p.m. Central Time. But as far as these four wildcard games go, where do you want to start? Well, first off, I want to start with Upshot. i got to find a way to work that into my writing. I like that, <laughs> Upshot. I'm going to find a way to get one of my stories this week. So I basically watched every single one of these games Uh you know, basically beginning to end uh, the entire way. My number one takeaway was that crowd out there that's like, hey, you w- if you play in the wild card round, you can build momentum for the playoffs. Those were four 10, 12 round slugfests yeah. in all of those games. Those were knockdown, drag out fights. If one of these teams, whether it be the Texans, Titans, Vikings, or Seahawks, end up going on a Super Bowl run, my hat goes off to them. But they all, I thought, left a piece of themselves on those fields because of how tightly contested, especially the first three were. Um, and then certainly the Eagles always being within scoring range of the Seattle Seahawks. I, I did say, I, I just want to put this out there. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. What happened in the Titans game is what played out. I, if you would have told me over under on 30 carries for Derrick Henry in that game, I would have said over if the Titans were going to have a chance to win this game. Right. They played to their strengths. The, the New England defense that had been so stout all year long, they just did not have an answer for trying to get him down within three yards of the line of scrimmage. And, you know, the Patriots, you know, get, get bounced from the playoffs. I thought the Texans showed a lot of uh, adversity and grit to, to be able to push through that game against the Bills, especially coming on in the second half the way they came on. And the Minnesota Vikings, folks, I know there's a lot of Packer fans that, you know, some might have been cheering for them because they, they wanted the Saints out of the playoffs. The other half might have been cheering against them because they're Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. But that team, when Delvin Cook is playing, is a different football team. And he was healthy, he was rested, and he made his presence felt against a Seattle or against a New Orleans Saints team that just couldn't get its run game going. Well, I think that's the game that obviously interests Packers fans the most is the Vikings going into the Superdome in New Orleans. And I said last week, the Vikings gave themselves a week off. They gave they yeah. they took week 17 when they had nothing to play for. They gave themselves a chance to regroup and to reset. You said it. Dalvin Cook is back. The other guy who's back is Adam Thielen. Yeah. Because we saw even though he played in week 16, the Monday night game against the Packers, Adam Thielen still wasn't really back to his old yeah. self. You could tell by the way he was running routes and whatnot. And that wide receiver, he comes back from the fumble on the game's opening possession. Could have started any worse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then he got called for like a very questionable, I thought, holding call that wiped out a nice run for the Vikings. Things were not looking good for Adam Thielen early in the game. And then he just made clutch play after clutch play as this game evolved. And then he's the guy who makes the big catch deep down the field in overtime. I thought what the Vikings showed, I agree with you, I think, all these teams that won these 12 round bouts, they'd left something of themselves on those fields. But I, I got to tip my hat to the Vikings because yeah. Mike Zimmer even said last week, Hey, nobody gives us a chance to win this game. And the one thing that I thought over anything else that gave the Vikings a chance is that they essentially were taking a bye week into the playoffs. Yeah. They got a chance 
to rest and reset their guys, and I think that made a huge difference because uh, they had to withstand a, a big Saints charge in the fourth quarter. They did. The game goes to overtime, and then on the opening possession of overtime, they didn't let Drew Brees get the ball back. So a couple things here. The first thing, if I'm going to point out that the, the Titans end up doing what I thought they were going to do against the Patriots, I have to point out that I was wrong about the Vikings, and that is that I, I thought Kirk Cousins coming off of that performance that he had against Green Bay, he would need to play. He'd need to be able to get that, that tune-up fight to be able to feel good about himself again. Yeah. And let's be honest, Mike, even if he would have played against the Bears and even if he would have played well, again, as I said in, the, in my preamble here, the team is just different when Delvin Cook's playing, when Madison is playing, and yep. that backfield is, is moving the ball the way they are. And that's not to say that Kirk Cousins doesn't matter. There were certain parts of that game where he made some pretty clutch throws that, that helped them get that win. But Delvin Cook is the steam engine that drives this team and drives this offense. And I thought that was arguably the best performance I've seen from the Vikings' defense this entire season with how they were able to, you know, th- there was some trickeration there that they had to weather with Taysom Hill. But, you know, as much emphasis, and I know Taysom Hill's really fun to talk about, the New Orleans Saints aren't 13-3 and because of here's all the cool stuff that Taysom Hill can do. They're 13-3 and because of Michael Thomas, because of Drew Brees and Teddy Bridgewater, uh, you know, and then obviously the biggest one being Alvin Kamara. None of that was going for them in this right. game. Yeah. Thomas had seven catches for 70 yards but wasn't the impact player you've really grown accustomed to him being. And Alvin Kamara, I actually thought that was kind of an uh, dis- disservice that they did him by not getting him the ball more it's fun to get Taysom Hill out there he made some cool plays but I think it's some part of that game they sort of lost what their identity was and despite being at home they couldn't find it yeah that I I thought Minnesota's defense really was impressive especially when you look at the first half the Saints go into halftime with 10 points but the only significant play they made on offense was Taysom Hill throwing the deep pass down the field to to set up the one touchdown. And the then, fumble giving him the field goal early Right, on. and the fumble gave That's him the it. field goal early on where the Vikings defense rose up in the red zone to get that to get that stop. Drew Brees definitely was was finding some things and finding a rhythm in the fourth quarter, but then obviously the Vikings made the big play to disrupt that rhythm with the sack fumble when the Saints had just gotten to the 20-yard line. They were down three at that point, but there was – the amount of time on the clock, you're thinking, boy, they go in and get a touchdown yeah. here. They go up four, and then they really kind of turn the screws on Cousins to say, you have to respond. The Vikings get the turnover there, and then when the Saints got their last chance, they really only had time to get into position to kick the field goal and get get it to overtime. So that turnover, that red zone turnover by, by Breeze, I thought was huge. But I have to ask you, because it's what everybody's talking about, of course. In yeah. the overtime, the touchdown pass to Kyle Rudolph, it was – Reviewed very quickly for potential offensive pass interference on Rudolph pushing off on the defender. What would you think? I thought he pushed off. Yeah. Uh, obviously, and he's a bigger – I mean, you're a six foot six, six foot five tight end. Going up against a defensive back, you're going to have that advantage. Was it egregious? No. But I thought it was a push off. Now, that, all that being said – this uh, everybody holding their breath afterwards to see if New York was going right, to review this. Right. We've watched this movie several times now, <laughs> and, I, and I get the Superdome was incredulous and they were upset, and they've had a lot. They've had three straight years of losing on the final play of a game. Right. So the, to throw the garbage, I can't. I can't excuse that. But to to be surprised that it wasn't called and then it wasn't reviewed. I mean, come on. We we know this by now. 
the one thing I'm going to disagree with, I was watching uh, one of the pregame shows, or maybe it was the postgame show, I think it was on Fox, and I think it was Jimmy Johnson. If I'm wrong on this, excuse me. But Jimmy Johnson I, or somebody had said, you know, be better that the officiating doesn't matter. I, I actually don't agree with that. Yeah. This game. Uh, that, that's that, that, that's a tough take to swallow. There's I think, 125 in this day and age. Division One football subdivision teams. This isn't Alabama laying a stinker against you know Louisiana Monroe or something like that. Mm-hmm. All these teams, there's you're going to get tightly contested games. There's just not yeah. going to be blowouts. It's just not the way when you get to the very cream of the crop. It's not going to work out that way. The officiating needs to be on par with that. And it needs to be officiated the way the rules are intended for them to be officiated. Whether or not they like it or not, that is the rules this season, Mike. And I am I can't tell you any other time in NFL history where I can remember an amendment being made to the rule book and then in that first season just a total like since the very beginning. Yeah. Just a total ignoring ignoring of uh of that rule. Yeah. This is what I I'll tell you. I don't know if you've read my insider inbox column from this morning yet. If you haven't, that's okay. We just got in here. <laughs> uh, we just got we just got to work. Um, but I'm going to reiterate what I said there because to me to me what defined the decision is what nobody's really talking about or at least it wasn't part of the explanation from the league and what I mean by that is the Saints defender never turned around, right. never turned his head, was not playing the ball, was only playing the man. And if you ex- extrapolate, you know, look at this from the bigger picture sense, a defender who never turns his head and makes contact with the offensive guy, some sort of restrictive contact, he's going to get the DPI flag every time, mm-hmm. right? So I think there's awesome. a, I think there's a, there, there's a natural... Uh, transition here to say, well, we're not going to bail out a defensive player sure. who doesn't turn his head just because the offensive guy made some contact, mm-hmm. right? I, I think if the Saints defender, and I, I apologize for forgetting exactly who it was, but if he turns his head in any way and Rudolph's shove is into his, say, his shoulder or into his back, yeah. then I think there's a there's a decent chance maybe that that offensive pass interference flag falls. But because he had his back to the play the whole time, he never knew where the ball was. I think I think New York just said we're not going to bail that guy out. That's just that's that's my opinion. Do you think that was actually their justification for it? I wonder that. I think you make a really good point. And I think it's very astute. I, I, I'm think curious if they actually thought that within the 35 seconds or whatever that they made that decision. What what I I don't I don't know that, and I don't know if I would yeah, necessarily speculate that. But I but I I think my overall point is that I think subliminally, subconsciously, just looking at how the defender yeah. was defending the play, they're not interested. You know, they're 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 like, well, you know, he he wasn't making the play on the ball. Yeah, you know, so. I, th- that to me, to me, I, I think that played into the decision whether whether it was verbalized, whether it was actually processed mentally that way in the 35 yeah. seconds as you said. I don't really know, but uh, but just based on the way these calls are made, I think that was part of. I it. I think that's a heck of an answer. I think that's a really good theory that you have. I really wish somebody would have told the New York office, "Hey, let's go with that," because yeah. there's a real part of me. There's a big part of me that still doesn't even believe they thought on that level, but. No, and 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 you and you may be you may be absolutely but I right, think you're and, I'm, right. and I'm not. That'd be a great answer. That'd be a not, great spin to it. Right, and I'm not going to. I'm I'm not going to disagree with that. The other thing I will say, because the the another one of my initial thoughts right when it happened, 
Uh, Kevin Seifert, who we know yeah. from ESPN.com, and he was a Vikings beat reporter for a long time. He's now a national writer, and he's he's covered these officiating issues over the years for ESPN. He's done an outstanding job, and I was following his Twitter account yesterday during you know throughout really throughout the weekend with the playoffs, and he brought up right after basically as that was going to review that in the first two weeks of the season. An offensive pass interference flag was dropped from New York off of a review three times. One of those was at Lambeau Field, Packers against the Vikings. We all know that took a touchdown away from Minnesota. After week two, which is when we know everything changed and how they were looking at this stuff, an offensive pass interference flag was dropped from New York once the rest of the season. So what do you think? I mean, the odds just weren't that good to no, begin with they that they were going to that they were going to overturn that touchdown with offensive pass interference and then my additional point is the fact that the defender was playing the play the way he was did not certainly did not increase New Orleans odds yeah. at all of getting that call. That's that's kind of where I stand. Uh, we'll move up because I want to talk about Seattle here. Yeah. But I want to ask you this question. Okay. Have you ever driven an old car before? I'm an old car driver. I've never actually bought a new car. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been through this. Sometimes when the check engine light goes on, you bring it into the shop. <laughs> Sometimes you just admit defeat, yeah. and you're like, I'm just going to ride this thing out until it does it. I really believe that's where it got to this season yeah, with these calls. You may, you may be right. Just let it stay on, get through the year, we'll bring it to the shop and try to figure it out in March. But to right. this point, it's an incredible thing that Kevin points out that there would be that many. Because that flag against yeah. Green Bay, or for Green Bay, right. and against that would Minnesota. never get thrown now. Right, ever. exactly. That's the thing. Yeah. It, it happened three times in the first two weeks of the season, and starting week three uh, through the end of the regular season, only once did they throw an offensive pass interference flag from New York. So I think that's important to keep in mind as far as the context of how all this evolved. But the Seattle Seahawks, West are coming to Lambeau Field. It will be the fourth postseason meeting between the two teams the Packers won the 2003 NFC wildcard game on the Al Harris pick six in overtime the Packers won the 2007 NFC divisional game the snow globe game with uh, Ryan Grant and the 200 plus rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns and then of course the Seahawks won the 2014 NFC title game in overtime with the big fourth quarter comeback so there's a lot of playoff history here between these two teams and uh, a lot of drama, a lot of uh, bad feelings, of course, certainly with what happened five years ago. And then you throw in the fail Mary from seven years ago and everything yeah. else that goes along with it. But, uh, um, but boy, this is, uh, is going to be one heck of a matchup. It's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun. I, I think there's enough storylines going into this that – Ultimately, it's it's going to really propel this to be in the, the marquee matchup of the divisional round of the playoffs, and I'm excited for it. it kind of like I said last week with New Orleans and Minnesota where they sort of became honorary division rivals, that's kind of basically where Seattle and Green Bay is uh, in terms of just they've seen each other so often over the years, regular season, postseason, what, what have you. And for I have so much respect for John Snyder, Pete Carroll, what they've built in Seattle and how they've been able to sustain it. So much of it reminds me of the Ted Thompson approach. I know their front office structure is a little bit different than what Green Bay's was, but you know, draft and develop, and when there's holes, fill it in. And they did that this year with Jadavian Clowney coming in, and, yep. and you saw the impact he had on that game. And you know, I think there's a lot of parallels you can draw between the way he plays and how he's utilized and what the Packers are doing with Zadarius Smith right now. But like the very beginning – how it always has come down to when the chips are down and your top three running backs are injured, they lost their tight end that was pretty good early in the season, 
it needs to be back on Russell Wilson. And in a game in which both teams were incredibly banged up, uh, Philadelphia almost historically so. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Russell Wilson put the game in his hands, and they won the game because of Russell Wilson now the last few weeks. So I think that's a big supreme challenge for them. But you look at it, it's a really interesting dichotomy there, right, where Seattle was down all of its running backs. Philadelphia was down all of its receivers. You put those two teams together, you might have a pretty good yeah. skill position group. Right, right. Uh, but – they leaned on DK Metcalf. They leaned on Tyler Lockett. It's going to be a fantastic matchup here at Lambeau Field on Sunday. Yeah, I want to ask you a couple of other questions with regards to that uh, Eagles-Seahawks game in just a minute. But Select Cousin Subs locations are now offering delivery. Whether you're ordering, catering, or your favorite sub, they're delivering right to you when you order online at CousinSubs.com. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. Okay, the clowny hit. Yeah. What would you think? I didn't like it. I see why it wasn't called. Um, The reason I didn't like it is I think there's a – I understood the pool report in that Wentz didn't give himself up, but there's still certain protections that you are allowed as a runner, regardless of what your position is. Yeah. And I don't feel like he properly received those on that play. I agree. Um, I can't get into Jadavion Clowney's head. I don't know no, what he was I, thinking. I know that's that. That's the he part went that... really high to the body. I get the idea that he had to make sure that that guy was down. But Carson Wentz was fairly defenseless at that point in time. It sounds like it was a concussion. It could have been much worse with where his face mask hit. You think yeah. about the cervical issues that players have had in this league. I did not like it. Um, I thought it was. I mean, but it's a bang bang play. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's so. it's a bang bang play. What I didn't like about it at all was that when you look at it, and I realize when you see it in slow motion, you know everything is magnified. But it just it looked like Clowney was completely leading with the helmet. Yeah. There was there was nothing as far as reaching out with the arms to try to make a grab or lowering the shoulder to make a hit. It was nothing like that. It was all it was all about the helmet, and that's exactly the type of hit that they're supposed to be legislating out of out of the game and. Unfortunately, um, I hope certainly hope Carson Wentz is going to be okay, but unfortunately that hit had a major impact on a playoff game. Yeah, here. in a court of law, I think you can make the argument that Clowney was trying to get a shoulder in there, but even let's say that that is the best-case scenario in all this, I still don't like hitting a player that high on his body when he's compromised in that position. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I just think there's so many other ways that you could approach that. You could have tried with the angle that he took on him. You could have went over his body. You could have just tried to lead with the hands. But the facts as they are, it did not look good. It looked like a helmet leading another guy's helmet directly into the turf yeah. in 2019. That's just not going to play. Again, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll sit here and I'll criticize officiating. In that one, you got to see it because it's there, and then it's over, and there's no replay of it. So obviously, they felt like it was just a, a you know, a normal play. Wentz gets back up. If he stays down, maybe things get affected a little bit. But yeah, not, not a good look. And um, yeah, it was, I, in my opinion, a, a regrettable moment of that football, an otherwise really good football game. Yeah. Well, I'll reiterate what I've been saying for years that if the league had just decided to make all these safety rules reviewable by replay, we could have a little bit more, I think, just decisions that are made on on these types. Because you, like theory, you just said, they have yeah. to call. They have to call it in real time. It's a bang bang play. I get it. It's not easy to do. I'm not saying yeah. that it's an easy call to make on replay. I think you get a little bit better look at exactly what happened, but the league has never shown any interest in 
in uh, actually reviewing any of the safety rules it's over all these too. years. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, that's so. one of the things I think the NFL and a lot of professional leagues are struggling with. It's entertainment. Yeah, so well, with it. with you, you, obviously, with Clowney, as we've been discussing him, the hit aside, and this is taking nothing away from Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright and whatever, but if you're going to put a bullseye on somebody from the Packers' offensive perspective that you got to get blocked – I mean, come Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening at Lambeau Field, Jadavian Clowney is the guy who can just wreck your game. Yeah. I mean, I, the Seahawks, in my opinion, they are they are in this position primarily because of what Jadavian Clowney did in San Francisco in th- that Monday night game that was such a huge win for Seattle that set them up to be yeah. in this position in the first place. And uh, I, Clowney is going to be a big topic of conversation throughout this week. I can't really figure out with – Seattle, why they've never really been able to like quote unquote draft pass rushers like edge rushers. Yeah, they always get them from they always but get them from other places. John Snyder has probably done as well of a job as anyone over the last decade of finding edge rushers, often at a modest price, that they bring in and make an impact in this defense. And Clowney's the most recent one of that, and certainly I think earning himself a lot of money this off season. Uh, the other thing too, I I just want to put this out there because I don't know if you saw the post game comments, but man. Josh McCown. I mean, if you ever, oh, wow. Josh McCown's career here in the next, whenever it ends, maybe it's this off season. Josh McCown will not go down as the most talented quarterback in NFL history. But man, oh man, if that guy hasn't one gotten every single ounce of ability out of his body, yeah. in terms of what he's accomplished, no question. And two, about it. I don't know. It, it gets thrown around so much, and it's such a big cliche of oh, they want it more, and how much do you? I don't know if I've ever seen anyone who wants it more than Josh McCown. His <laughs> mentality, his approach. Um, I mean, he's out there just completely spent after that game in a game in which he started on the sidelines. And, and as they mentioned, even during the... And he was limping around on one leg there in the yeah. fourth quarter, too. I'm not sure exactly what he was dealing with. And they he didn't. Was clearly try- he was trying to scramble and get away from pass rushers, and he wasn't even 100%. And he's 40 years old on yeah. top of all that. And Nate Sudfeld was inactive. So, I mean, he was the quarterback from that yeah, point on. he was all they had. It, it was tough uh, watching him scramble out there. Just a lot of fun to watch. He tried to make that thing happen. Unfortunately for the Eagles, much like the first match, they just couldn't get in the end zone. And that's going to be the challenge for Green Bay next week is you're probably going to be able to have intervals where you get yards on Seattle, but can you finish it? Can you be that top-ranked right. red zone offense that they've been all season? Yeah, well, we'll be talking about a lot of these matchups, a lot of these statistics and everything that will play into this game as the week goes along because we got a lot of shows do. to do and uh, a lot of talking to do. But for now... We will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team here on Divisional Playoff Week on Packers.com. Subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services, and there's all kinds of great video content on the Packers YouTube channel. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.